Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. All right. Today, we learned a very valuable lesson. <laughs> I already know what this is. And that valuable lesson is the hyphen that goes between the E and the S in re-sign. <laughs> you cannot have scripted the way that phone call went <laughs> better than how it went today. It is either cosmic justice or a cosmic gift. I don't, and I don't know which yet it is that today shook out the way it did. Just an absolute hilarious shit show. So I told Brad not to tweet this out because I thought this is going to be, I want you all to hear it as it's retold for the first time. Um, Brad and I were both on the road today, uh, both either driving to or from our vaccine appointments. Um, and, you know, we're in Ontario and we've had to wait quite a while and it's a little bit of a stretch to get them until very recently. And still now it's, it's tough to get the appointment anywhere near you. So we were driving a ways. And I'm on the road in traffic, cannot be on my phone, obviously. So I have Siri reading out my messages and I get a message from someone and it said, <laughs> Siri said the words and I had her repeat it. Siri said, Blashill resigned, Bilesma out, end of message. And I said, hey, Siri, play that again. And she said, from so-and-so. Blashill resigned, Bilesma out. And I went, holy shit. And the way I read that was, okay, Blashill resigned. That's it's his way of saying, you know, they didn't fire him. His contract ended. Make it amicable so the guy can get a job somewhere else in the NHL. And they specified Bilesma out because uh, some people would have been thinking, oh, is Bilesma going to step into his, his spot? So I was like, wow, Eisman went full cleaned out the house. I immediately called Brad on hands free. He said, "Hey, I'm driving." And I was like, "Okay, here here it is." I said like 14 words. I was like, "Uh, Blashill resigned, Bilesma's out. I can't uh tweet anything right now. I'm on the road. Go." And he was like, "Okay, cool. Bye." We we hung up. <laughs> I was I literally it. about to get on the highway. I had one more parking lot before I got on the highway. So I was just like Mad Max and just hammered into the parking lot, opened up my phone, and then that's when I saw the hyphen. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, oh, no, no, no. So I go to call Ryan back, and as I grab my phone, or as I go to switch from the Twitter app on my phone to the thing, my phone starts ringing. It's Ryan. I'm like, yeah, he re-signed. He didn't re-sign. He's like, oh, that's, yeah, that's different. Uh, it's funny because I got two messages from two different people and they both said resigned um, instead of resigned. And so for a short period of like 46 seconds, Brad and I lived in a world where the Detroit Red Wings had completely cleaned house with their coaches. And this summer was going to be part of the coaching search. Gallant was on the table. Lambert was on the table. Talk it, whoever else. And I was like, oh, man, this I had. I really didn't think it was going to go down like this. Like I was starting to get a little bit, uh, not concerned, but I was like, this is a little peculiar that we hadn't heard anything yet, but I still would have bet that Blasio was going to come back. And I was like, oh my God, he did it. And then short lived. And uh, yeah, 
Resigned, folks. He's extended. It was, it was a fun few minutes. And then I'm like looking at the time and I'm like, so I was going from my work in Kitchener to my vaccine appointment, which was in Wellesley. So it was about a 25 minute drive. So not crazy, but I'm like, yeah, I was out of the door from work for two minutes. Not even I get this call. And I'm like, I wanted to just sit and go on a firestorm on Twitter. But I'm like, this is literally the one thing I do all year. I can't miss. <laughs> like, so I had to just send out the tweet and then. Because this is the way my day has been going. My frigging car wouldn't start today, this morning. So I actually had to take my other uh, vehicle to work. Or sorry, Crystal had to drive me to work, drop me off. And then she had to pick me up and the whole family was going to the appointment with me. So I send out the quick tweet. And then I'm like, ah, oh, people are going to get so mad because I send out a tweet with like a quick reaction. And then I'm just going to ignore everybody for the next 45 minutes. So I'm like, Crystal, quick, go tweet for me. Just tell it, respond to it. Tell everybody where, where I'm going, what I'm doing. Like, hey, on my way to a vaccine appointment, I will get to my replies. And just so I'm not looking like the biggest a-hole on the face of the earth. And people aren't wondering why. Hey, biggest Red Wings news of the year. Where are you, dude? And I'm like, literally doing the one thing that takes precedence over this right now. <laughs> You know why this happened today is because I finally let myself tweet out that I thought something might be up and maybe yeah. – <laughs> and the moment that tweet went out, the entire Red Wings front office went, go, go, go. He did it. We got him, boys. The FBI busts in. Anyways – And in uh, the end, I've, it went exactly how we predicted it. Of course. Uh, as you all have put together by now and as I'm sure you knew before, uh, this podcast uh, – was in your ears. Uh, Jeff Blashill has been extended as head coach of the Detroit Red Wings. Dan Bilesma is indeed out as assistant coach. Uh, this is a Tuesday night, which means this is an emergency podcast. Uh, what better news to justify one of these? We haven't done it in a while. Um, Evan's not on this one. He's sobbing because he really thought he had a chance to take over as Red Wings head coach. So uh, he's taking this episode off to grieve, but Without further ado, welcome to this emergency episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. I am Ryan Hanna. I'm vaxxed, waxed, and ready to go, Brad Crisco. <laughs> Stealing a joke from one of our patrons, and I have <laughs> no regrets or shame. I never. I need you to never describe yourself to me as waxed again. You smile far too much, just generally in life, for you to describe yourself as waxed to me. I don't need Also, also vaxxed. I have a very inappropriate joke to follow it up with, too, nope. that I will tell you later. Okay. Um, all right. How do we want to do this? In an emergency episode, I'm sorry, we didn't uh, – we'll have something for patrons later this week. Uh, we won't have an overtime segment just because we don't have a ton of time tonight. We do have to just kind of – we want to be able to get this out to you guys. Uh, but we'll give you a chance to chime in on this. Um, where do we want to start with this? Um. We can either talk about the implications going forward or since this was going to be the review episode for coaching and management anyway, I think we should review the season Blashill and Bilesma had because that's why these decisions were made. Let's let's just kind of mix that in with a little bit of what we saw today because I think yeah. really oh, the yeah. big news is is the 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 quite lengthy presser that Eisman had. Um, and what we were able to kind of glean from that. So the first detail here that everyone's going to want to know is how long is this contract? Okay. Blashill was brought back, whether you're a fan of that, whether you're not, how long is a contract for? And, uh, answer card, credit to him asked in the pre presser, um, 15 minutes in something like that. 
And Eisman flat out said, it's a personal policy. I don't discuss the length of my staff's contracts. I think it'll get out eventually. Uh, Friedman's good at pulling these things up. Pierre Lebrun's good at pulling these things up. Hey, whichever uh, insider leaks this, let me know your charity of choice and I'll donate 20 bucks. But just please find out the details. Um, and uh, if that contract length is one year or less, I will match Ryan's contribution. How would it be less than <laughs> a week by week contract? Hey, NBA has 10 day contracts, man. I can dream. The I get that, and I have no problem with that as a personal policy, as long as he has the freedom to do that within the CBA. I will always take the stance that the NHL should mandate transparency for all major contracts, players, GMs, coaches. Uh, you have to name your starter starting goalie at the start of the day. Like None of this like obfuscation stuff anymore, but wasn't really a surprise. The reason it took so long to ask Eisenman that question, the presser, is because everyone knew what his answer would be. But still, what do you think it is? What would you guess the length of this contract is? My guess would be one year with a team option for a second year. That's my gut feeling. Yeah. See, that's mine too. And that's what we've been saying leading up to this. And, and that's been a pretty popular position. Um I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, if this is a straight two-year deal as well. I'd be shocked if it went much further than that. Um, I don't know that Eisman would give hand out that much term just because he knows things can change on a dime. And if he gets to a point where he feels like he's given Blashill enough players to work with where he can evaluate and, let's say, hypothetically, Blashill underperforms based on Eisman's expectations, he wants the ability to fire him without too much financial cost to the owners. So... I would say max two years, but I agree with you. If I if I had to be a betting man on this, which I wish I was, I should have put money down. I preached about it for so much. Um, I'd say a one plus one. Yeah. One year deal plus a one year team option that Eisman has the choice to pick up. Yeah. And in fairness to Blashill, what I'm imagining Eisman's negotiating tactic was, hey, we're only going to guarantee you one year, but let's say we'll give you a mil and a half for that one year. Or we can give you two years, but we're giving you two mil total. So the overall dollar amount's not huge. And the Red Wings can, even if they do want to move on from him at some point in the next two years, it's not going to be that big of an extra financial impact. Um, so I still think it's one, but I, like you said, if, if they lowered the dollars per year, I wouldn't be surprised if he got the extra year. All right. You heard the news. What is your quick? 30 to 60 second second summary, like your thoughts, not the objective take. Like what is Brad Crisco's uh, analysis? What's your opinion on the decision to bring Blashell back? I don't think anybody's going to be surprised by me saying this. I don't like it. I, I don't think he's the right coach for a rebuild because I don't like, and this is the main argument I have for not liking it. I don't think he's been a particularly good coach for player development, especially with the young players. We haven't seen enough progression from almost all the guys we want to see. And in a lot of cases, we've seen regression. Uh, my biggest concern today was when Iserman in his press conference explained he likes the way Blashill handles younger players, which is one of the very, very few times I've actually questioned what Eisenman's thinking because I plainly disagree with that statement. And I'll, I'll get into the nuances of why I think of that later in the episode because – but. Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't like his power play, but that's why Bilesma's gone. I don't like his offensive strategy because, frankly, there isn't one. Um, I don't like the PK, 
yeah, he did a good job at reducing how bad the Red Wings were five on five, which, hey, credit to him. I'm not going to say he didn't do a good job at that. He did. Uh, you can argue it was at the expense of offense, but hey, the Red Wings were hemorrhaging goals the year before. They needed to do something. So the fact that he went full nuclear on it, I get. I'm not, I don't like watching it. It's awful hockey to watch, but I fully understand it. So I'm not going to rip him for doing that. I can rip my eyes out halfway through a game when the Red Wings, when the total shots are 14 to six, but. Um, yeah, I just, I have major concerns in terms of the long-term harm this could do. Larkin regressed, Heronics regressed. We have not seen any offensive improvement from Rasmussen or Zadina, despite their improvements defensively, but the whole team improved defensively. So I take that on a player by player basis with a grain of salt, um, Dennis Cholosky hasn't progressed the way I feel like he should have. Um, and you, you can go down the list. There's a lot of players before Mantha went. That would have been an argument against him. Athanasiu before he got traded. Same thing. Like this is not a, a, a me cherry picking. This is a very noticeable and consistent trend. His successes are Bertuzzi and Fabry. That might be it. Like, and there's other ways. Again, defensively, great. But, you know, if you have guys like Rasmussen, who you took ninth overall, Zadina, who you took sixth overall, Mantha, who we all think can be a 40-goal scorer, Andreas Athanasiu, who was a 30-goal scorer, we don't want to see everybody universally regress offensively. You have to score. Now, Iserman did say in his presser today that they need to score. That is his biggest concern this offseason. Which was good to hear because he wasn't an ostrich sticking his head in the sand. And he did also go to his way to say him and Blashill are in constant communication about everything. So we were wondering all year, the Svechnikov decision, the lineup decisions, all these weird decisions, was Eisenman involved? The very obvious uh, impression I got from the presser today was yes. He was well aware of everything that was happening. He may not have fully agreed with it, but he was there and yeah. part of the conversation. So... Yeah. Again, overall, I don't like it. I understand it. I do have mild optimism going forward. I'm not completely writing off Blashill. He is a new coach. The team did show improvement. He has adapted his systems before. None of them have worked exceptionally well, but he's tried. Um, So there is a path here where I think Jeff Blashill could be a very good coach of the Detroit Red Wings. I'm not saying that's impossible and I'm not writing him off and I'm going to give him every benefit of the doubt starting next season like I did this season before, you know, 10 games in that was gone for me, but I'm going to try. Um, <laughs> like it, it could happen, but the best predictor of future events is past events and Blashill's had what, six years to change my mind and it hasn't happened yet. So I'm not optimistic it's going to happen next year. So I'm I'm going to jump into a few of those points but just for the sake of structure here i'll give my initial take um in the end not surprised was starting to to wonder what the holdup was um i think i recognized in my tweet saying like the holdup could be any number of inconsequential things that were have nothing to do with Blashill possibly coming back it could be that you know someone had a family trip and they were integral to the process and they couldn't <laughs> run these things until they came back like it, it, it all of that is just unknown to us so you don't want to speculate too much there so in the end not terribly surprised um similarly to brad 
I was disappointed, but I think I have come off of being that far on that end of the spectrum as the year has gone on. And that doesn't mean that I necessarily like a lot of the things that Blashill does as a coach or, or the direction he's moved um, moved in in handling a very complicated situation, which is a team that needs to both develop its young players into you know positive impact players, especially offensively, because we've seen a lack of offense. But still, it's a rebuilding team, and you have to accept that they're bad. Like that's difficult. And Eisenman said that in his presser. Like it's very hard to coach a rebuilding team. So I don't necessarily agree with all those things. Uh, you know how he handled that situation but i do recognize the the nuance and the difficulty of that situation my preference plain and clear would have been to move on from blashell this summer i think having his contract expire anytime you have blashell's contract expiring i i would as of right now advocate to switch to a different coach but a lot of that is also pie in the sky right like you know brad you i you me and evan have talked about this plenty what coach that we would think is a premier coach or that Eisman could convince to come here and do big things is going to want to come to Detroit right now over a lot of other open destinations? It's going to be really hard to bring someone else in. And unless Eisman has 100% belief that a change in coaching will appreciably change the trajectory of this team, the right move is to, to not change it. To, to not switch out the coach. Cause that's a, that's one of the most impactful decisions you can make for an NHL team. Um, so I get it. I, I, I do understand. I, I, a lot was revealed to me when Eisenman said a lot of the same things that Blashill has been saying all year, which is that to be a good winning solid team that not only just makes the playoffs once, but is like a contender, you need to have strong two way players. A lot was, I think, unfolded and revealed when he talked about Larkin. He said, he's like, I understand that Larkin's output wasn't really good on paper, but he's like, I don't give a shit. He almost plainly said that. Like, he's like, I don't care what the output is. The goals are the points are the goals are the points. I, I have spoken. I, Steve Eisenman, have personally spoken with Dylan Larkin, and we have set the goal together. I want you to be one of the best two-way players in the NHL. He wants Larkin to win a Selkie and then a Stanley Cup. He doesn't care about Larkin winning an Art Ross or being in contention for, you know, uh, the, the Rocket Richard or anything like that. Like, he is perfectly fine with the mitigated offensive output if it builds a two-way player. And very clearly, Blashill and Eisman align in the thinking that a strong Stanley Cup contending team is a team that, for the most part, plays a 200-foot game. So I personally hate when when coaches try to make every player like that. Like It's going to drive me insane when Blashill inevitably tries to do that with Verona because that's just not the player Verona is. I, I think you can only do that to a certain degree. But the fact of the matter is, doesn't matter what you, me, or anyone else thinks – I think Eisman and Blashill are very much aligned in that thinking. That, to me, revealed a lot of why he brought Blashill back, why he doesn't share the same concerns. Yeah, and obviously it's a, a huge strength of your team if the full team can play 200 feet. But And this is where I disagree with Eisman because you can't win if the puck doesn't go in the net. You have to score. A 200-foot player includes the offensive zone. A 200-foot player isn't the offensive blue line to your own net. No, it's the full ice, which means you score and you prevent goals. I don't... To One of the biggest credits I'll give Blashill is, outside of Verona, who's newly acquired, is there a player on this team that you don't consider a 200-foot player right now? Or at least, if they're not a 200-foot player, they're reliable in their own zone. 
Some guys just don't have the physical capabilities to do it anymore, like a Darren Helm or a Val Philpola, but they sure as hell try. Um, and they have obviously limited offensive capabilities, but there is nobody, nobody on this team that doesn't give it all defensively. So Blashill has his base established. His challenge this year isn't to prevent goals. He took a very mediocre roster, one we predicted would finish bottom five in the league, and they did, but he turned them into a middle-of-the-pack, five-on-five defensive team. That, again, I, I'm i not a fan of Blashill sticking around, but I can't discredit that. That's impressive, and it he is. did it well. He, it's like he, bleeding he, a rock getting any kind of success from this roster. Yeah, yeah defense, in their defensive zone, they were strong in preventing uh, – the other team from transitioning cleanly through the neutral zone. They were good at that. That is there. I don't want to see, well, not that I don't want to see, but I don't give a shit to see any more defensive progression this year. You have your base of a system established. Now find a way to do that and put the puck in the net. If he can do that this year and we see progression from the players we need to see, if Larkin stats go up, Zadina starts scoring, Rasmussen starts putting in, we see a good year from Cider and he's playing a significant role. And we see more, not necessarily these guys, but Chalosky and Svechnikov and any other young guys getting prominent roles. I, I will happily, happily jump on the Jeff Blashill bandwagon. If we see offensive progression and he legitimately plays the young players, I'm happy. I Again, I do not expect the Red Wings to be good this year. Let's get that argument out of the way now. I don't care how good or bad of a coach Jeff Blaschel is. Gerard Glantz not saving the 2020-20 or the 21-22 Red Wings. They're going to be bad. We're going to be talking about Shane Wright all year. That's fine. We know where this team has to progress because obviously we can all grape about the team not scoring. But I don't want Evgeny Svechnikov playing eight minutes a game. Mo Sider damn well better not play 14 minutes a game. He just won the SHL Defenseman of the Year. He can handle pro hockey. We better not see a full season of Joe Valeno in Grand Rapids. And if he's on the team, it better not be on the fourth line or else he should be in Grand Rapids. We better see Chalosky as a significant contributor on the power play. Now, if any of these players are given opportunity and play their way off the team, sure. No arguments here. If Chalosky, you put as power play quarterback number one and 10 games into the season... He's got one secondary assist on the power play. Yeah, that's his fault. Get him out of there. But give them the chance. This is the gripe I have with the rebuild so far. The Red Wings are one of the oldest teams in the league. That shouldn't happen. I I don't care how much you believe in the Iser plan or the logic behind hiding a lot of the prospects from the roster. You got to get them in eventually, and you can't do it all at once. And if you wait too long, you miss a bunch of them. So... Again, if we see a full season of Chalosky, Sider, Valeno, Svechnikov, and their contributors, I'm happy. I don't expect all of them. I don't expect Lucas Raymond next year. I don't expect Jonathan Berger next year. I don't expect more than basically like the four or five I've already listed out, but they have to play. Playing seven minutes a game does nothing for them, and I will say that till I'm blue in the face. I don't care. Um, But yeah, so again, I'm not writing him off, but this is... This is his last chance in my mind. It has to be. He's shown what he's good at and he's made strides. We know what the very obvious deficiencies are. And the beauty is Iserman pointed out those deficiencies in his presser. So it's not like this is my idiot fan 
Yep, Jeff, this is what I expect from me, and I expect you to do it all. I'm largely repeating a lot of what Eiserman said, just in a different voice. Now, he didn't quite go as far on the young player thing as I did, but he did mention he expects Chalosky, Lindstrom, all these guys to be Red Wings next year, unless they play their way off the team in training camp. So this is the bar. And if Blashill does not get a team to score goals, he should be done. There's there's no saving grace. Now, I'm going to forgive him on special teams because that's largely not him. I mean, it comes down to him. Um, because for an example, I saw one of the big sentiments I got in, in on Twitter today and in my mentions was, yeah, we're, it sucks Blashill's back, but at least Bilesma's gone. So the power play has a chance. And I know I've went on this ramp before for something else. Yes, I understand Bilesma is the one creating the plan, but when the plan is failing, it's up to Blashill to address it. And he didn't. And that was, so you can fault Blashill for the power play. It sucked. Anybody with a brain could see it sucked. Anybody could with a brain could see that Hironic isn't the quarterback, but it never changed the whole season. They got hot for like a week and a half and that was it. So at, at some point, Blashill has to step in and go, Dan, change something. And it never happened. But yeah, we'll get to that later. I'm sure. Well, <sighs> I'm just going to put one point in there and then I'm going to jump back to uh, something that you mentioned previously. Any other season, I would be fully on board with you. I think the buck stops with the supervisor, the manager, the person who who writes the paycheck to the person who makes the mistake. At the end of the day, if you're trying to fix something operationally and not take a punitive measure, the buck does stop at the supervisor for sure. But this season is weird. Quarantine and 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 bubbles are weird. Bringing in new personnel is weird. It was a sprint, a compacted season. Yeah, it was shortened games, but still, like, you had how many games in a row without a practice sometimes? Like, it's just weird. I don't fault them for just seeing the season through. I bet Eisman and or Blashill knew. I don't know how that conversation went. Maybe Blashill wanted to keep Bilesma. Maybe Bilesma was purely an Eisman hire. I don't know. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that decision was made in which I, either one of their heads or both a long time ago. Um but going back to to a point that you previously made, you mentioned that Eisman does expect improvement, and I think that's important to note. Like, I think I think Blashill has at least two years of bot time here. Like, I think next off season, if we let, let, let's say it is a one plus one, of course we'll have the conversation: Is Blashill going to be brought back? I don't think this conversation will be had in earnest unless something really drastically changes for another two seasons. That's just my my take on it, but. Eisman did go out of his way to note he does have increased expectations year over year from the players. He said the players need to play better. And that's not the players have been shit up until now. He wants them to keep getting better because he thinks that's he thinks that's how you become a better team, quite obviously, but he's also realistic in that you're not going to go from zero to one hundred in one season. And he also expects more from Blashill. Trying to infer a lot from Eisman outside of the words he says is dangerous because a lot of what he says is very carefully selected so that people a don't get too much of what's going on in his head because he likes to keep things to himself or keep things internal to the team um and b he doesn't like to to lead people on too much (laughs) max asked him a question today and asman went i have to be careful with what i say because i know you'll hold me to it and he means that (laughs) he does mean that um so there's a lot of coach speak so to say with, with eisman um but 
taking the risk of, of, of trying to extract more meaning from his words. He he mentioned expanded he mentioned an expanded need for goal scoring. And I think he expects that both from the players, but I think he also expects that from Blashill. In my mind, that was saying, all right, Blash, yeah, you took this team and you made them a great defensive team relative to what we've had previously. Finally, we saw some solid shutdown games. We frustrated some some talented teams, but the goal scoring does have to come. And the famous words of Brad Crisco from like 20 minutes ago, you do need to score to win games. And some of that has to come from you. So whatever you deploy, however you you alter your systems – it needs to be so that you can allow Zadina, allow Larkin, or allow Fabry, allow whoever I bring in in free agency or from the draft to score those goals. I do think those expectations fall on Blashell as well. So though I think Blashell's bought time, I think, Brad, you're completely right in saying the goals in the offense need to come. And I think the onus, the, the ball does fall on Blashell's court. Yeah, because it's an obvious statement. But when Eisman says, he's like, and our key players need to play better. That's on the coach. Like you can, we can criticize players. Every player has a bad game. Don't get me wrong. You can have the best coach in the world. And Dylan Larkin goes out there one night. He's just not feeling it. He's double clutch and everything. He's missing it. We've all had those games. It's when it's over a season. If you're not getting the best out of your players, that's the coach's job. We expected more from Larkin this year. We expected more from Mantha this year before he got traded. We expected more from Hronik, so on and so forth. Again, when it's a trend, that's on the coach. Um, so yeah, the expectations are set, and we better see the progression here because what else is the expectation for the season? I don't think there's any any Red Wings fan, even the most optimistic Red Wings fan, isn't sitting here and going, "Yeah, I think this team is going to make the playoffs next year." I don't care if Eisenman goes out and signs Landeskog and someone else and for agency. This team's still not making the playoffs. They are more than a few pieces out. So what the benchmark is or where the bar is set by Eisenman, I don't know. I don't know. But if we see lottery, honestly, (laughs) um, but if there is an improvement, then yeah, I don't see how you can go forward. We should see a pretty significant uptick in production from Larkin and Zadina and Rasmussen next year. If we don't, it's a trend, and that's on the coach. Um, Eisman did say something, and this isn't new. He has said it in the ba- in the past, um, but the general sentiment was that if he ever feels like the coach is holding the team back, um, that is when he'll address it with a change. He said pretty clearly, he didn't go out and talk to you know Tortorella and Tockett and um, uh, Gallant and whoever else. He, he's like, he said, I didn't feel like that would be fair to Jeff Blashill. If my question is, will Jeff Blashill be the coach of this team next year and not, I definitely need to make the change, then he wanted to have that conversation with Blashill first. And, and you know, love Blashill or not, you have to agree with that attack from the, the GM. But he's saying, if I ever feel like it's the coach holding this team back, then he'll make the decision. And I think that's a fair statement. There will be a lot of people who argue that the coach is holding the team back, but largely Actually, almost definitively right now, Eisman has said he thinks it's on the players to keep improving and more so he thinks it's on management to give the coach better players. Right now, if you're working with levels and bars, he thinks the the the, the lowest common denominator, he thinks the, the limiting factor here is the personnel. And 
As much as I think the coach does have an impact on the team, same as you, Brad, I agree with Eisman. The limiting factor for the Red Wings at the end of the day, where they fall in the standings is not Jeff Blashill, it's the personnel. I agree with that statement. Um, I do think GMs have cause to switch out coaches despite that sometimes, but I digress. Um, and so Eisman is saying, I have to make this team better before I can hold the flame to, to Jeff Blashill. When will Eisenman think that the personnel has caught up enough where Blashell can truly be judged based on output is is a is a prominent question in my mind. I don't know if we have an answer to that. I don't think it'll be next season. I don't think it'll be the season after, truly. It's going to be a long way. Like All that is coupled with Eisenman repeatedly saying, correctly so, this rebuild has a long way to go. Well, I think this is going to be another off-season of addition by subtraction. Um, I We know there's going to be a good chunk of the older UFAs who we're just not going to see back this year. Um, who and exactly who's coming back, we don't know. But just getting some of the guys out, like hypothetically replacing Helm with Valeno, upgrade you whoever the hell replacing Alex Biega with Mo Sider upgrade like he's gonna have a better roster will it be dramatically improved the way Osman was talking no because Osman was very plain in saying he's like I'm not acquiring any players of significance if they are not going to be here for three four five years it was interesting too because his timeline of when he mentioned that was exactly online with everybody, what everybody thinks is going to take to turn the team around. So I think he knows the next two years at least are bad. Uh, <laughs> he plainly said, I'm not moving future assets. I have no interest in doing that. And then uh, another reporter pressed, you know, what about in a trade? If you can get a young player, he's like, I can't make other GMs give me good players. But yeah, like obviously if it's someone a long term, solution he would look at that which just cemented in my mind that jack eichel is going to be a red wing next year let's start that rumor now before i get a million tweets that are going to say that well he did Um, keep saying it's it's worth repeating he said a lot he's not interested in bringing in guys unless they are here to stay like he's not opposed to the idea of giving up assets but he doesn't want guys here for a couple seasons he wants guys here to be part of the long-term core and one thing that was that i really really took from it is when he was talking about that he specifically said He's like, I'm not interested in acquiring players. I want players in the age range of our core. Your Larkin, Bertuzzi, Vrana, who he said by name was Vrana. He counted that as part of this core in that 26 and under range. So he, he's very willing to deal. But I think now when we're talking into free agency, hey, Dougie Hamilton. No, probably not. Are we talking about Taylor Hall? No, probably not. Sounds like he's not even interested because they don't meet his requirements for age. And we've been saying this all year. This isn't anything that surprised us. Like why, if you're a rebuilding team, why would you ever sign a 29-year-old no matter how good they are? But it was just nice to hear Eisenman basically cement that saying, yeah, no, if they, if they too old, I don't want them. Yeah. The... Getting on to the assistant coaches. So Dan Bosma, they, what they said was Dan Bosma would be leaving the, the team to explore other opportunities. For anyone reading into that and saying they they let Bosma know that his services were no longer needed, I think that 
is probably the case. They never really say for certain in these scenarios. Again, they want these guys to be able to find work elsewhere. If Bilesma is let go, they'll always present it as such. And if Bilesma actually wanted to leave to, to try for one of the head coaching opportunities, then yeah, maybe. I don't know. Um, I think it's more likely that he let go because he was the, uh, you know, puppet master behind one of the worst power plays we've ever had the privilege of watching with these Red Wings. Um, we, I, I will admit, I, I, I'm going to eat crow on this. A lot of people have suggested, what about keeping Blashill and getting rid of Bilesma? I said, that would make sense. I just don't see it as likely because how are you going to give Blashill another set of assistants? And here I'm I was wrong for sure. Um, and it looks like I just didn't see a very, very likely path of uh, Eisman just being on board with Blashill and not Bilesma, but I guess he was. Now, he did say uh, there, there, nothing is certain, but they weren't expecting other changes with the coaching staff. Not to say it couldn't change. I, I think he was pretty clear in saying that nothing was like cemented there. Doug Huda would stay on largely oversee the, the PK and uh, defense. And um, I think a very important note was he was going to work with Bilesma on finding the assistant. And that to me means a few things. One, he, or sorry, he's working with Blashill to find the assistant. Thank you, Brad. Uh, if Eisenman said or avoided the question and so we could infer that he said, uh, I'm picking the assistant – the first thing I would have thought was, oh, that's Blashill's heir apparent. Like, that's the person who's going to take over when Blashill's leash runs out. That wasn't the case. And that's another reason why I think Blashill has at least another couple seasons of, of confidence in him and, and probably a lot more slack than some people would like to admit. Um, but two, it, it just reinforces that, like, I don't know how best to phrase this. He mentioned that he'd want someone to work specifically with the forwards and he'd want someone to work with the power play. He's, he is aligned with Blashill. He's aligned with Blashill and you tweeted this, Brad. He has a very clear vision of how he expects this rebuild to go. And it's not fully headed by Blashill and he's not fully headed by him. It's, it's a, it's a full team that needs to contribute to this and he knows if the offense is going to improve blash is going to need help on that and they're going to need to work together to find that person it is notable that blashell doesn't have full reign on hiring that assistant i think that is is worth saying for sure blashell is not completely autonomous like other coaches in the nhl might be uh and that eisman might give at other times but yeah that's just the scenario we're working with here well yeah you have to assume uh, Blashill's talent evaluation skills uh, being poor might extend from just players. So <laughs> probably uh, best to have Weizenman in there. Yeah. But first Weiler. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. So it's good. And I am going to be watching with a keen eye who they do hire because obviously Blashill wants the team to win. So he's not going to sit there and shoot down candidates that might take his job because well, if it's a truly good candidate and your team starts winning, you're not going to lose your job. Um, but I, I, with a lot of big name coaches on the market and only so many jobs available, there is a very interesting opportunity here to get a very high end assistant coach. Like if a Bruce Boudreaux doesn't get hired, do you reach out to him? Because he is an offensive minded coach and he would do wonders. Let, like I know they had Alex Ovechkin, but Man, when Boudreaux was in Washington, their power play was an absolute wagon. And I, I would have all the time in the world to see what he could come and do with this offense. But if they do go for someone like that, not necessarily him, that does make me wonder if, you know, Eisenman's kind of already looking 
over Blashill's shoulder a little bit, like, hey, you're on a short leash. Do your job. Or if they go with someone pretty inexperienced but has a good track record. Now, I know he's not available, but like hypothetically a John McFarland who's only in his early 30s but has a very good rep around the league. I, I'm pretty sure he's not even available, but I'm just saying someone like him who brings fresh ideas and isn't necessarily someone who's in line to be a head coach just yet. So I'm I'm curious to see what that dynamic is going to look like and ultimately who they settle on because they could go a few different We'll call it philosophical ways here. It's funny because when Toronto was filling in their assistant coaching spots for the past few seasons, I can't remember what year it was specifically. I remember laughing and thinking, oh my God, uh, it's funny. The flip side of this, when a team is so like their, their roster is so close to competing and this is what they like fixate on, just like the most minute decision. So I was like, oh, I can't wait till Detroit's there again. I mean, <laughs> here we are. <laughs> um and you're right, Brad. I think there's a degree to like kind of looking over his shoulder here. I still don't think that if you are going to be working with Blasio, unless that was a complete misdirection and it's going to be all Eisman's call, if you're going to be working with Blasio, you're not going to bring in someone who is a, hey, this is the fire under your seat, do good, or this guy gets your job. I, I don't think it's that. I think it, it's they're looking for a cog. They're They're looking for a cog or a wheel in the machine, and they want to get this thing churning out results. Um, it's... Yeah, it's going to be very interesting who they pick. And I think who they pick is going to tell us, give us either uh, a lot of information about how Eisman sees Blashill's future or not a lot, which in turn would give us a lot of information that he thinks Blashill still is the coach of the future unless it's he's given any reason to think otherwise. My grand thought here, like in my personal opinion, is yeah, I didn't like the that he was brought back. It was expected and where I've landed, especially from the the second half of the season onwards is that at the end of the day, it's not going to matter a lot right now. You have your preferences, especially when you're in the weeds like we are. We nitpick, we we focus on the more minute details. The big movers of this rebuild are going to be Steve Eisenman and the players he brings in. Jeff Blaschel has a profound ability to impact the rebuild. I don't want to discount that, but at the end of the day, as long as Eisenman has him mostly in line with his thinking, which again, they are aligned. Having Blashill for a year or two longer than I would have hoped won't make a big difference. And if he stays longer than that, then I mean, I still have a lot of confidence in Eisenman's plan. It probably means he deserves it. So a little let down, but eh, it is what it is. That That's the most boring, but real honest take on it. I want to say cautiously optimistic, but I'm not. I'm just not. Again, it's been six years. I, I'll i say cautiously pessimistic because I do see a reality where this works out well. Not betting on it. You couldn't make me put money on it, but I, I could see it. Um, if, Bla- if, if we win the draft lottery and get Shane Wright next year, well, then this was the best decision in the history of the franchise. Uh, <laughs> There's a lot of galaxy braining. About that, and we've joked about it too. Yeah. Like he blashed to make the te- to keep the team worse, but in reality, like you don't need to listen a lot to Eisman to know that that's yeah. And also the the roster will take care of that. The coach yeah. doesn't matter. So yeah. yeah, if if we see some progression offensively and the young guys get bigger roles, that's really all I ask for next year. But if we're watching more of this 
low event, absolute garbage hockey where the Red Wings are allowing 40, 50 shots every third game. And Evgeny Svechnikov or Denis Jalowski are playing eight minutes a night. It's going to be another season of me bitching about it on Twitter every goddamn game. You want to know the sad truth? I think the measure of success, and I actually agree with this based on what we saw, the measure of success is this team continues to play you know, boring low event hockey, but they buckle down in the defensive zone, but they still, they find a way to make it come at less of a cost to the offense. Part of that will be through, you know, better personnel. Part of that will be through hopefully players improving and Blashill finding a way to work that into their games. They're not going to get away from the low event hockey until they are a super skilled team and they're just not there yet. So anyone with dreams of that going away, I promise you the one thing I can say definitively is it's not. It is not going away. That is the only strategy that Blashill can move forward with right now. The only hope is that they 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 it comes at less of a costly offense. Currently, there's virtually no offense. You don't have to look very far at Detroit's point totals, and that's how they're generating all this defense. They have to throw all of their resources pretty much at defending, um, and it doesn't have to be that drastic. As Eisman gets Blashill better personnel, as Blashill learns how to better coach those systems, hopefully that would be a measure of success. And I would not be surprised if that's, well, I mean, that's what Eisman said. They need to, they need to play 200 foot game, but they also need to score more goals. So we'll see how that, that goes next season. I don't expect high event hockey. I expect higher event hockey. And I'll Mon- leave it at that. Monkey pock curls. <laughs> um, all right. We did get some other news that was, I think really interesting throughout the presser. So we'll, we'll chat a little bit about that. Um, Pretty simply here, but uh, super positive news was on both Larkin and uh, uh, Bertuzzi. Bertuzzi, there's not long-term impacts with those injuries. Larkin, no surgery needed. Um, <laughs> I said was a comedian today. You mentioned that, uh, you know, he's still officially listed as day-to-day. Someone mentioned his uh, his neck. I, I can't remember who uh, the reporter was. I apologize. Um, and Eisenman said, Haha, no, no. The, uh, the official listing is out day-to-day with an upper body injury, which was hysterical um and bertuzzi is apparently recovering super well with his surgery so he can't do a lot right now but he is in uh in detroit training at the lca like working to recover and it's a pretty complicated process but he he thinks it's going really well so that's that's really good news um especially with something scary like a, a back injury for bertuzzi so good to know um keith petrozelli this is something that we've been keeping a pulse on um and it's been a really interesting situation we haven't known what to make of this because it's been a little peculiar why nothing was mentioned, especially how sparse Detroit's goalie pipeline was. Everyone was under the impression like Keith Petrozelli has done his season with Quinnipiac in the NCAA. He needs to sign soon or Detroit's going to like Detroit's not going to have his rights anymore and he's going to be able to, you know, be exposed to other teams. Um, we've seen this happen before with other UFAs, but there was no real indication that that was going to be the case with Keith Petrozelli, but there's been no signing new bit of information we got today from Eisman was um, because of COVID NCAA players have been given the option to defer a year. Basically they can come back and play another year because they haven't, they didn't receive the full college experience, let alone the college hockey experience. These are kids and they went away to school and were able to do absolutely nothing. They didn't get to experience anything about life on campus, what it was like to be a student athlete on campus. Like it just, 
it was super limited. So they all have the option to come back for another year. Apparently, the way that works in with the, you know, four years in the NCAA and you have to sign rule is if he chooses to go back to school, he takes that deferral, Detroit retains his rights. So even if we don't see Keith Petrozelli signing this offseason, um, Detroit will retain his rights unless Petrozelli specifically submits some kind of clause. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. Eisenman mentioned it. And he's out and then he's available to other teams. Yeah, he has to basically announce that he's not going back to school, but he's not signing with the Red Wings. Then he becomes an unrestricted free agent. Eisenman did say, uh, I think pretty specifically too, right now he's deciding between staying in school or going pro. Yeah. So it sounds like his decision, his big conundrum right now is, do I want to sign with the Wings or do I want to sign with another team? Sounds like that's not Petrozelli's mindset, at least at the moment. Obviously, things could change. But uh, yeah, so that was at least some positive news in a situation that was the longer it dragged on, the worse it would look. Yeah. Um, so always nice when you, uh, for <laughs> we give Eisman a lot of flack. We're like, he's ironclad. We can't get anything out of him. He taught us all a little bit. Um, I really appreciated the people who asked him what was going to happen with the expansion draft. He was like, yeah, I know what I want to do as of now, but I'm not going to say it. <laughs> Um, he had a lot of interesting conversations uh, or talk about RFAs. And why don't you fill us in a little bit about that, Brad, and, and what that meant? Especially, I think a lot of it just does relate back to Jeff Blasio. Well, I want to boil it down to the four players that got a lot of talk specifically. And I think, again, I, we apologize to the reporters. Uh, tough to remember who asked each individual question. But someone asked specifically about Gustav Lindstrom, Dennis Chalosky, um, Giovanni Smith, and I want to say, I think Michael Rasmussen was thrown in there, but I don't really think he's in the same conversation as those three for now, because they're all restricted free agents, all need contracts. None of them are waiver eligible next year. Now, obviously, there's a million ways to do manager speak or coach speak your way around this conversation, but Eisman was pretty candid in saying he, he liked for the most part what he saw from them. Um, in Rasmussen's case, most of the season. In the other case, they got the the look at the end of the season. But he said he expects them all to be Red Wings next year. They're not waiver waiver eligible. There's uh, specifically for Chalosky. There's they're thin on the left side of defense. It's basically him and DeKaiser right now. Um, so unless they play their way out of camp, they're going to be Red Wings next year. So they have to royally screw this up. But he expects to sign them all. And he expects them all to be Red Wings next year, which is pretty unusual um, for any manager, let alone Steve Eisman, to just come out and say that. Yeah. And you know what? I really appreciated that level of honesty because it's he's admittedly have to stay pretty cagey about a lot of things throughout this rebuild, um, especially during the early phases, which I still think we are in the early phases. But I mean, like his initial couple seasons, because as you're both evaluating and trying to, you know, clean house of any dead weight or talent that you don't believe in uh you don't want to be going out there and making these statements he's seen enough now where he can declare i expect these guys to make the team it feels foreign it feels alien to us but i think it's actually more than norm <laughs> for other teams like gms and coaches have no problem saying like yeah this is a guy who's been playing with us and and we expect that based on their trajectory they'll they'll keep making the team or we hope they would, and we're going to give them every opportunity to. So um, it's nice to kind of get back. It's a very, it was a very nature is healing moment for me. Um, and it was, it was 
good to see him have that vote of confidence. I don't, I still would say don't make that expect, don't expect the world um, of those RFAs immediately. Eisenman did have a note early on in the, in the presser where he talked about, you know, uh, Blashill and I, we, we, we work on these decisions together and we come to an agreement, or at least when he disagrees with what I decide, he respects the decision. And so to me, you know, whether that be calling this player up or whatever, um, that does ultimately fall on Eisenman. But how often they're deployed, I think that will still be a lot in Blashill's court. How often they're played will will still be very much up to Blashill. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about the UFAs, and we'll do that in a later episode. There will be plenty of veterans for Blashill to choose from to, to give this ice time as well. Brad, your face. Yeah. We know where this is going. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, um, he specifically didn't mention Svechnikov, or at least not much to my knowledge. What does that mean to you? Sorry, what about Svechnikov? He didn't mention him too much in, in terms of like, you know, bringing this guy back or signing him. or. <laughs> well, one, nobody directly asked about him, so it's not that Svechnikov came up. But Red Wings, Eisenman waved him twice this year. I think the writing's on the wall. I hate it. I think it's stupid. I think Svechnikov should be a slam dunk to be a regular in the top nine next year. I mean, he had, what, eight, nine points in 21 games. So on a points-per-game basis, he was comfortably top half of this team. It's 25, knee injury. The Red, the Red Wings haven't shown any faith in him at the management or the coaching level. Again, as I ranted about last episode, I, for the life of me, don't know why and can't figure out why. He's my most li- likely candidate to end up in Seattle, but if he doesn't, I'm not even positive he gets a contract next year. I think a lot of what's going to dictate that is is who's retained as a UFA. And that's not necessarily like, you know, Eisenman just deciding in or out. I think guys like Helm for sure, Mark Stahl for sure, Eisenman will have the option to say, I either want you here or I don't. I don't think they'll get a ton of offers. Mark Stahl, maybe. I don't know. GMs are weird about veteran defensemen. Um who's to say Bobby Ryan definitely wants to come back here? What if he gets a 1.5 or 2 million offer from another team? What if Seattle wants to bring him out? They say, hey, you're a veteran presence. You have the offense. We want you to fill out the roster. We'll pay you probably more than you get on market because we have, I mean, they have literally a 100% cap space right now. Um, Eisenman's plan of which UFAs he brings back might not fully come to fruition. At which point I think that'll, That'll dictate a lot of what's available for guys like maybe Svechnikov if they, in fact, don't necessarily believe in him. I don't think it's necessarily at the point of the writing is on the wall, but, you know, I think they think a much more highly of Adam Ernie. Like, Eisenman thinks that Adam Ernie can continue to produce a little bit uh, and generate that offense and maybe even expand that given the expanded role. Um, I would say he's, uh, in in Eisenman and Blaschel's mind, a much bigger um, asset to this team than Svechnikov, which... I can't say right now that I disagree with. I forget how old Adam Ernie is, but I don't think he's that much older than Svechnikov, if at all. And if they were the same age, yeah, Adam Ernie definitely gets the edge here. But they shouldn't be. And this is what I get tired of because you see this happen in Twitter. It's like this player or that player. I would take both of them over Almost anybody who's going to play in the Red Wings bottom six next year, honestly. Like, truthfully, those are probably my two last 
forward protection spots in the expansion draft. Spoiler for when we do that episode in a week or two. Um, but they're, they're both valuable. They're both good. You don't have to choose. If we want to keep a Svechnikov over a, a Helm, a hypothetically Glendening, uh, anybody over the age of 30, over a Gagne, you do it. I'm not saying that Svechnikov is better than Gagne. I'm not saying that Adam Ernie is better than Gagne or Glendening. I am saying they're like six years younger and that matters at this point in where the Red Wings are at. So I'm, again, I don't think that this Sepchenkov situation is going to resolve itself the way I would like it to. I hope Seattle picks him for his sake because he'll probably get some playing time there. But uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I think maybe we're we're running the risk of getting a little bit too negative on on the Svechnikov situation just because of like the ice time and the waivers thing. I could definitely see, see a situation where, you know, if Heisman's able to clear the space, he becomes a Red Wing. But a lot of this is impossible to to divine right now. Uh, breath of fresh air to to cheer you up, Brad. Heisman's saying something else explicitly. He expects Moritz Sider to be an NHLer next year. He hopes he comes to camp. He knows his next step is the NHL. He said, Obviously, like every other guy we've talked about, they have to make the team. He's not just handing out roster spots to the guys who don't perform in camp and preseason. But he hopes Moritz Sider comes to camp, has a great training camp, has a good preseason, and is on the Red Wings starting roster at this uh, on day one of the regular season for 21 and 22. That is <laughs> that is uh, Eisman pouring his heart out in terms of actual information that he's given in terms of expectations. So, A- Credit to Moritz Sider for doing such a damn good job. Again, SHL Defenseman of the Year. And B, credit to Steve Eisman for laying it out for everyone to see like, yeah, this is a guy who's done well. He's moved forward. I need him to be part of this team because he is part. He is a core part of how this team is going to progress into a contender someday. I like that Eisman backpedaled a little bit just to mention, oh, yeah, he has to have a good training camp and a good preseason to make the team. Uh, he was one of the best defensemen in the AHL as an 18-year-old and then was the best defenseman in the SHL as a 19-year-old in two full seasons. I don't give a shit if he forgets how to skate for the first part of training camp. His last two years were was the audition. He has passed. He is a Red Wing. I don't give a crap if he's a negative 12 in three preseason games. I'm taking the larger sample size over the smaller sample size. And I think Iserman is as well, which is why he just said, yeah, I expect Sider to be a Red Wing. And then kind of backpedaled it a little bit because I think yeah. that really was Eisman talking from the heart. Like Eisman, I think, wanted to lean into the microphone and go, you guys have seen this kid play, right? Right? Then you've stop seen the, asking. You've seen the best defenseman not in the NHL just run train on an entire league for a year as a kid. Yeah, absolutely. He's actually, I think Eisman maybe thought he wasn't going to make the team and then he saw him uh, doing karaoke to uh old town road he was like how can i leave this kid kid off huh <laughs> this is the coolest kid alive <laughs> oh man it'll be so nice to have like cider's a goof like he's hilarious and it'll be so nice to have him and his like upbeat positive personality off the ice but then he's just like completely determined like i will be destroying you this shift so you know grown man my favorite world junior highlight of all time is watching Mo Sider walk out of the dressing room singing Shake That Ass uh, before one of Germany's games. Yeah, that's actually what I uh, I play that five minutes before any work meeting I have. <laughs> the uh, actual clip of Mo Sider singing it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like literally just yeah. that. I've never heard the full song. 
Yeah, as you should. Um, and I guess one other, there were there were a couple other pieces in here to note. Uh, Art asked about Donovan Sobrango, and and Eisman noted that he's really impressed by Donovan Sobrango, and I think that was good too. Sobrango, much the same as McIsaac, had a really raw situation with you know what was available for him to play and and you know injuries, and then he came over and played in the AHL, and he did a damn good job of it. So, um, you know, talking about defensemen of the that need to fill in in the future. When asked about what holes the team had, Eisman mentioned two things. He Well, he mentioned a few things, but most notably for me, he mentioned goal scoring, which we've talked about. He also mentioned he has to figure out what's going to happen on the left side of defense. And that's a fair play. Like, Sider's coming in, right side. Hironic is, for better or worse, the team's, you know, leading uh, or best defenseman, or at least should be, right side. Troy Stetcher plays the right side. Like, all of the Detroit's talent is pretty much on the right side. They're not devoid on the left side. But there's not a lot to be said for the left side. So he knows he has to figure that out. Does that play into where he's looking for the draft? No, I don't think so. Because I don't think there's a single player in this draft who's ready to play in the NHL next year. Quite honestly, I don't think there's one. I If you take Owen Power first overall, I don't think he plays in the NHL next year. I, I think if anybody in this draft might have a case, it's Matty Beniers. But even to me, I would still want him going back to Michigan for another year. So I'm going to say no. I think what he's implying there is that's where he's going to be, uh, what he's going to be eyeing in free agency or trade filler. Um, it also is worth noting that Eisman once again went out of his way to mention He's already making phone calls around the league. And as teams get eliminated from the playoffs, he's going to talk to them to see what they need uh, or what they need to shed in order to make the expansion draft better for them. So he's already looking for those bad contracts. He wants more picks. He wants more prospects. He's like, oh, Minnesota, you have too many defensemen and you can't protect them all. Hi, how can we help? Yeah, right. I, we've got the question a couple times. People saying, "How is Eisman going to leverage cap space and roster space for the expansion draft?" Um, the worst case scenario for the Red Wings is that they lose what Svechnikov, Chalosky, Giovanni Smith. Like, it's not a world shaking event. You can be fans of those guys, and you can say, "Yeah, the Red Wings are worse for not having that player." But in the grand scheme of things, that is not earth shattering, especially as you're rebuilding. Um, so. If they have to expose those guys because they take on a guy with a terrible contract who needs to be protected because of a no-move clause that he'll waive for the purpose of a trade or, or whatever the situation is, um, then yeah, yeah, like that's that's a pretty big opportunity. That does beg the question, why would a person waive their no-move clause for a trade but not to be exposed for the expansion draft, which is a thing you can do, but still, like, there's a lot of opportunity. GMs need to shed to be both cap compliant for next year, they need to shed so they can sign their stars. Vancouver, you have a lot to do. Whether that's Jim Benning there, it's not looking like it. Uh, sorry for anyone who fell for Mr. Booth's <laughs> tweet today. Um, but there's there's a lot of opportunity and it's nice to know that he's, well, I mean, it's obvious. He's still you know, pounding the pavement. He's working the phones. I, I would expect something else happens this summer. Yep. Um, I was listening to the 31 Thoughts podcast today and a very interesting situation and a very interesting name has arisen in Minnesota. Uh, if you want to get a King's ransom for a bad contract, Zach Parisi is a healthy scratch for the wild tonight. 
he makes a lot of money and he can't even get into the lineup in a playoff game. He has four years left. Minnesota will probably be willing to pay the world to get rid of him. And guess what? He has a no move clause. He has to be protected in the expansion draft. That is whether Detroit's the facilitator there or not. Oh, am I going to be watching that situation with close eyes this offseason? Because that could go a lot of ways. Yeah. And if you want an idea of how this could go, and, and of course, we're going to be doing full expansion draft dedicated episodes, maybe. Um, if you want to, if you want an idea of how many different directions this can go, when I say it can, it can be anything, go look up how teams broker deals with the Golden Knights for that expansion draft. There were a lot of like, Hey, take this draft pick and in exchange, take this player or Hey, take this player and in exchange will also give you this player, but you avoid this player. Like there's a lot of different ways to work it. And once you add a third party into that, which teams are becoming more comfortable with third party brokers, it, there's a lot of flexibility here. Yeah. Cause Minnesota is in the unique position where Parisi has a no move clause, which they'd have to get him to waive. And they have a, protection list problem where they have too many good players it's a good problem for them to have but they are not going to be able to protect all the guys they want so there could be something along the lines of where a team just gets matt dumba for taking zach parisi like and i'm not saying that's exactly how it would play out i'm sure minnesota would have to retain some salary there because i don't know if there's any team that could eat that much money even though that Matt Dumba is a terrific player but there's this is just the one I'm looking at right now there's going to be multiple teams in this situation uh this offseason so who knows and Matt Dumba's got what three years left on his contract so yeah Uh, in general I think if a player is waving to be traded They'll also wave to go to Seattle. Like I think Seattle will be a pretty fun destination for players. But again, that's not the only way this can go, right? So yeah, if Parisi waves for Seattle, Seattle's not picking him. So yeah, it frees up the one spot for. Yeah. Um. Anyways, to wrap this up again, we only have so much time tonight. Um. We'll do like housekeeping in a second, but I think I want to call back very quickly to one thing you you brought up earlier, Brad, and it was a sentiment of. You hesitated to call it positivity. I will call it positivity. Every time there is a, a a landmark or a pillar moment like this in a rebuild is an opportunity to reset, reevaluate, and just like recalibrate yourself as a team. And honestly, for you, the listeners, as fans, you now know what Eisman likes and does not like from what Jeff Blaschel has done. You know what the expectations are, and it's an ability for us to kind of pull ourselves out of the weeds of a really shitty long rebuild. It is so hard to see through the muck. It is so hard to see the forest for the trees. Like it is exceptionally difficult to do so. And days like today, though, maybe not the best news for a lot of people. um, It is an opportunity to kind of just like shake your head a little bit, get a little bit of clarity. I don't know. For me, I don't have this kind of optimism until we're much closer to the season, but I already feel somewhat optimistic for things to change in a way that I feel good about from a coaching perspective, like specifically from Jeff Blaschel as a coach. And 
is, is a lot of that blind confidence in Steve Eisman and his decisions? Absolutely. I'm not going to pretend that I'm not pretty biased towards him and his decisions, but I think that's because his record or his, his um, reputation precedes him. But still, I don't know. I feel good about today. We ran a poll. I, I put a poll out on Twitter from the podcast account. And um, admittedly, I don't think I made the options entirely fair. It was pretty much asking, how do you feel about the uh, about Blashill coming back? And um, we have, as of recording right now, about 1,500 votes. 9% say, great, team is improving. 41% say, hate it, wanted to change. And 50% say, it doesn't matter either way. Obviously, that's still a pretty you know, overwhelmingly negative response, but half of the people, the majority of people recognize and understand that at this point, it's not worth being in despair over. And I think that's a good approach to take. That's my long-winded way of saying, even you, Brad, the the Scrooge can unknowingly inject some positivity into this. Yep. Yep. In the, in the little ways I can, but hey, what's the, what, what's the worst that could happen? All our key players keep regressing and then Oh, value is lost and this team stays in the tank for three to four years longer. I mean, you know, that's also a possibility, not what I'm going to focus on, but it's there. So I'm hoping with a new offensive minded assistant coach and uh, a little bit of a kick in the ass. Yeah. Yeah. I expect improvement this year. Probably not in the ways I would want to see it, but some. Oh, I, my arm's starting to get sore. Yeah, actually, mine's very sore too. Um, I give it 35 minutes of podcast time, Brad, before you and I are yelling at each other again. Are we talking after the season starts? No, no. I mean like next episode. <laughs> oh, okay. I was going to say uh, 17 minutes and 30 seconds into the first game of the season. Oh, well, we'll be on in a different era of arguments by then. Uh, anyhow, uh, we have to get going. We are going to have something Patreon exclusive for you guys, a little Q&A episode later this week, just to kind of say thanks uh, for being patient with us as we record an emergency episode on short notice. Obviously, that's not the best situation for you to get your, your questions in. So we'll be doing that. But still want to recognize all of our listeners, our name level sponsors, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartel on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Rhett Bailey, Terry, driver of Evans Furkwagen, Taylor Tadgel, Botched and Bloody Brazilian Wax, Brandon M, Citizen High Five, Craig Kibble, Greech, Hana Lee, Hassam Alkasem, Jacob Turner, Jake Kiefer, Jeremiah Dobo, Joe Santangelo, Kaylin Wood, Cody Stark, Kyle Hashman, Kyle McClure, Matt McKay, Matthew M. Rice, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Zach Spring, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, another former junior goalie turned golfer, Antonio Gracias, Connor Leighton, Evans Bingo Card, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Joseph Minima, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, Old Fashioned Ass Lickin', As Good As It Gets, Stan Olson, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, and The Most Dangerous Lead in Hockey, Reed Baldwin. Brand new new level sponsor. Welcome. Trevor Pevavar. Thank you all so much. Take care. We'll see you later this week. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.